I couldn't ignore a great event in the history of the world which happened yesterday. You may have seen it in the news. It occurred in Lansing, Michigan. Our newest grandchild, Chloe Michelle Mills, born last evening, a little after 8 p.m., seven pounds, two ounces, 19 and a half inches. And we have an impartial, unbiased, cerebral, and honest evaluation from Kevin Longo, her other grandfather, who is a dispassionate accountant. I accept his cool-headed, completely objective assessment. He said, Chloe is a beautiful baby. Uh, Chloe's name is a Bible name. And we pray that she will grow up to be a worker like the Chloe in the Bible, an effective, uh, uh, in effective ministry for the Lord. Some of you probably know Keith Mosier. He was a long-term missionary in the country of Congo in Africa and headed up a mission ministry called Congo Frontline Missions, headquartered in Kisangani, Congo. Keith and his family were working with a team in true frontline mission service, and the Lord was blessing their expanded work. The mission had a number of students and workers. One of the young workers was from a nearby village. Since the mission was about five miles from the main road, the mission had an old flatbed truck for road maintenance. One of the important safety rules of the mission was that no worker was to sit on the edge of that flatbed. One morning in the fall of 2017, a group of workers went out to work on the road and the 22-year-old worker from a nearby village disregarded the rule. Tragically, as the truck was moving, it struck one of the potholes in the road and bounced. The worker lost his balance, fell from the truck. The physician at the mission clinic rushed to the scene, but the worker had died instantly, and the physician could only pronounce him dead. When it was clear that the young man was dead, mission workers rushed to the Mosher home, breathlessly saying that the missionaries must leave the mission station at once if they wanted to save their lives for villagers would blame the missionaries for the death that, would come, that had happened and would come and kill them. There was no time to lose. It was no small feat to get four small children out of the door without delay. With only a few diapers and children's clothes that could be grabbed as they rushed out the door, within three minutes, Keith's family and parents who were visiting them crowded into their, their vehicle and started driving beyond the local village to the nearest city where they could report the situation to the police. The road was a dirt road with mud holes and ruts and their progress was slow. To the fleeing missionaries, it seemed like only seconds before a mob on motorcycles formed and began to pursue them, continuously blaring their horn that in that uh, culture meant it was emergency, pointing at the vehicle, shouting that inside the missionary vehicle were murders that must be stopped, not to let them get away. Some had gasoline containers, and they attempted to throw gasoline on the Mosher's vehicle to set it on fire. As you can imagine, the experience was terrifying for Keith as he realized that his entire family, including his children, his parents, and his mother-in-law, were going to die. When he told me the experience, he said that every occupant in the car, from oldest to the very youngest, was earnestly praying for deliverance. Road conditions continued to slow them down. Through their rearview mirror, Keith watched the motorcycles behind him. He knew that he must keep ahead of the motorcycles, for if any passed him, the motorcycles would then trap the car and uh, their vehicle 
and it would be surrounded by the mob with a sense of helplessness. He saw the motorcycle numbers swelling and he realized the motorcycles were gaining on his vehicle. He continued to drive as fast as the roads would allow and he dodged the rocks, large roots and holes and drove through people, walk, uh, drove around people walking in the road. Occasionally he went through very muddy patches that threatened to cause the car to be hopelessly stuck, but they managed to make it through each obstacle. Somehow, Keith was able to stay ahead of the motorcycles until they reached the city. But at that time, motorcycles began to pass him. However, before the vehicle could be trapped, he was able to turn onto a side street to take an alternative route to the police station. This momentarily saved them until they came to a section of the road under repair. A roadblock stopped all further travel. They were now trapped. The mob quickly surrounded and began beating on the vehicle, demanding an entrance. Just as they realized they were going to die, a policeman came to their vehicle. He jumped in the car on the driver's side and began to drive the vehicle. With the policeman driving the vehicle, the mob opened up and the policeman drove the occupants to the nearby police station. As they entered, they realized they were safe at last. While the police station was protecting from a village mob, another mob marched to the campus, looted homes. Though their life had been preserved, Keith and his family have been forced to permanently leave the Congo. If he returned to the mission station, he would be killed. When Keith told me the story, I began to understand the need for cities of refuge. In ancient cultures, this same type of violent reaction could occur whenever there was an accident that caused a loss of life. This is why God instructed Israel to create cities of refuge where innocent individuals could flee for safety. Roads to these cities of refuge were to be kept in good repair so that one trying to escape would be able to travel without the hindrance that the Mosher family faced going to the police station. Notice the description of such cases in the book of Patriarchs and Prophets. He who fled to the city of refuge could make no delay. Family and employment were left behind. There was no time to say farewell to loved ones. His life was at stake and every other interest must be sacrificed to the one purpose, to reach the place of safety. Weariness was forgotten. Difficulties were unheeded. The fugitives dared not for one moment slacken his pace until he was within the wall of the city. Within the city of refuge, the accused would be safe until he received a fair court trial. If the judge found the accused innocent of premeditated murder, he would be protected but only if he stayed within the city limits, only if he remained, only if he dwelt in the city. Notice verses uh, 26, starting with uh, verse 26 of Numbers 35. But if the manslayer, that is the one responsible for the accidental death, the accused, at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, that it, uh, he, that is the avenger, shall not be guilty of blood. The one who was accused of being responsible for the death, the accidental manslayer, was safe within the city limits, but could be slain outside those limits. And an avenger who took the manslayer's life would face no penalty, would not be considered a murderer, 
for taking the life of the manslayer who ventured outside the city of refuge. Thus, the Bible teaches that life is precious, and there are consequences in taking life, even if it's accidental. How careful God wanted his people to be to, be, to avoid even accidental deaths. With that background, let's turn to Psalm 91. This chapter contains wonderful promises of safety and security from all dangers, but all the promises are conditioned on the opening phrase. You can say it with me. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. The promises of security, these promises of safety are only promised for those who remain within the city limits, those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Those who leave the secret place of the Most High forfeit this protection. Are you living, are you dwelling in the secret place of the Most High? Do you live in the city of refuge? You may remember the story of Shimei. Solomon promised him safety as long as Shimei stayed within Jerusalem's city limits. And Shimei promised he would abide in Jerusalem. Shimei built a house and stayed in Jerusalem for a time. But after three years, business interests led him to leave Jerusalem briefly. However, leaving the safety and security of the city of refuge cost Shimei his life. Like Shimei, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High provides our only safety. Whatever we allow to draw us away from the secret place may cost us our eternal life. Is there any business, any food, any thought, any activity that takes us away from this city of refuge? Is anything more valuable than eternal life? Jesus asked, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If those who live in the palaces of kings consider it an honor, what kind of honor must it be for us to dwell in the palace of the Most High? The secret place of the Most High is not a place we visit like we visit a museum. This is a place we live, the place we abide. This is our home. Shimei was required to stay in Jerusalem. This was the capital city of the greatest nation on earth. This was the home of the wisest king, Solomon. The queen of Sheba declared about uh, Solomon, happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. The requirement that Shimei stay in the king city, the city of refuge, wasn't a prison sentence for Shimei. It was a high honor. But Shimei came to look at this honor as a restriction of his business interests, as an abridgment to his freedom, as a yoke of bondage. And he chafed under it. He came to the place that he would rather risk his life outside the restrictions of the king than dwell in the king's city. Shimei left the protections and honor of the city and paid for it with his life. How do you look at dwelling in the secret place of the Most High? Is the Christian life one of restrictions to you? Or is it one of the highest honor and freedom? When we venture outside the freedom of God's law, we are sacrificing the security of God's protection. If you think you can venture beyond the borders of God's law, outside the protection of the secret place of the Most High, your children will follow you, but they'll venture farther outside the safety of the law's boundaries. Jesus uh, told us 
that our children would ask us uh, an important question. Deuteronomy 6.20, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what's the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? God told parents there would come this time when their children would ask, why do we have all these rules? Why do we have to remain within the walls of God's law? Why do we have all these restrictions? Other parents aren't as strict as uh, you are. My friends' parents at school, my friends' parents at Sabbath school, let their children do this or that. Why can't we have permission to do these things too? These questions are completely predictable. Our children, our children ask us those questions. This question was so important that God himself gave parents the answer to give to their children. Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. We were to tell our children of the tyranny of Satan and his desire to keep people in slavery. We were to tell them of the war between Christ and Satan, the story of the great controversy. We must make sure they know this story. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We are to tell them of the mighty power of God that delivers us. We're to tell them the story of God working for his people and delivering them through the ages. We're to tell them of the story of Jesus and the deliverance from the cross. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Tell them the rest of the story. Tell them the terrible consequences, the sorrow and anguish that have accompanied the despisers of God and his law, the despisers of good. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. Tell them the present difficulties are small and the future joys are great. We were delivered so that we could have God's laws instead of man's bondage. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. We explain God's wonderful law that protects us and restricts us only in ways that are absolutely necessary for our happiness, our good. We explain this is why we dwell in this city of refuge, which is protective walls around the city limits. Within the walls, there's peace, prosperity, and safety. We let them know why we are not interested in venturing outside the safety of God's laws. Our safety is to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, for he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What does the shadow represent? The expression under the shadow was a figure of speech for your house. It represented that an individual was under the roof of, in the home of, and thus under the protection of another's house. Notice what Lot said to the inhabitants of Sodom who were trying to attack the angels who were visiting his home. He said, do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Lot was explain, explaining that the visitors were under his protection since they were in his home. To be under the shadow of the Almighty is to be in his home, a part of his household, guarded by all that protects his house. An attack on the dweller was an attack on the owner. And when we are in the house of God, dwelling there, under the shadow of the Almighty, we are in a very safe place. Then the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God. The house of God was the sanctuary. The word sanctuary suggests safety. A bird sanctuary is a place of safety for birds where birds are protected. The house of God was a place of safety where people were protected. 
a refuge, is a place where people flee for safety. People who flee, flee are known as refugees. We are refugees in the secret place of the Most High. God's house, the sanctuary, was a place of refuge. And the Hebrew word for sanctuary is based on the word holy. It is the presence of God that makes something holy. Where holiness is, God is. And where God is, there is safety. A place of holiness is a place of safety because it is a place where God is. The Bible gives us examples of people who dwelt in the secret place of the Most High, the sanctuary. Luke tells us, now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna did not depart from the temple, which was the house of God. If you don't depart, you abide. Where you abide, you dwell. We should notice what David said in Psalm 27. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek. What's the one thing that David desired and sought? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The Bible shows it's possible. Here was Anna, 84 years old, still dwelling in the house of the Lord. Notice that dwelling in the house of the Lord provides three necessities of life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, David said. This is companionship. We get to know him. My wife and I will be married for 45 years in September. Doesn't seem possible, but we will have our golden anniversary in just five years. But as I have gotten better and better acquainted with my wife, I've discovered she has excellencies and gifts that I never dreamed uh, that she had when I married her. She is far wiser, talented, and a superb woman than I imagined when we were married. And over the years, she is more beautiful than the day I married her. And this is what David is talking about. As we dwell with God, we come to know him better. And we discover more and more of his excellencies. This morning, my wife was very impressed with what she read in her private devotions, and she shared it with me. It fits with what we are meditating on together this evening. This is from uh, This Day with God, page 101. Do you manifest impatience and utter hasty words? Are you full of self-esteem? Have you lustful thoughts and practices? Are you doing things directly contrary to the purposes of God? Are you robbing your heavenly father by withholding your talents and your heart from him? Why not cease doing this way? Why not make a full surrender to God? He will impart to you his light and peace and you will taste of his salvation. Do not any longer bring to God a lame, diseased offering. Your powers, mental and physical, are enfeebled by your own course of transgression. But such an offering is not acceptable to heaven. Why not come and be healed of all your infirmities and offer a living sacrifice, holy and without blemish? Have you been robbing God in tithes and offerings, she continues? Here is instruction for you. Says the Lord, bring ye all the tithes into the horse's storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, said the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Why not take the Lord at his word? It's our privilege to experience the joy of Christ. 
it would be a difficult matter to convince those who have tasted of the rich knowledge of Christ that he is as a root out of dry ground without form of comeliness. And he may become to our souls the chiefest among 10,000 and the one altogether lovely. Have you found in him a friend that's precious? The lily of the valley? She continues, I love him. I love him. It would be a difficult, let's see. Jesus, I, I see in Jesus matchless charms. I see in him everything to be desired by the children of men. Let us come to the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let us through his merits and righteousness obtain a fitting up for heaven. The broken and contrite heart he will not despise. To the world, Jesus is as unattractive as a root out of dry ground. He is without form and comeliness. When they see him, there's no beauty they desire. His gentle grace, his unselfish generosity, his self-denial, his self-discipline, his tempered habits, his unassuming modesty, his unswerving obedience to the law of God, his poverty, his uncomplaining and thankful spirit even under abuse, his life of prayer. This was no beauty they wanted or could appreciate. But to David, the first necessity to dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, dwelling in the house of the Lord, was beholding the beauty of the Lord. And the more the beauty of the Lord is beheld, the more beautiful it becomes. And beholding his beauty transforms us, for it is written, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. But in addition to companionship, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, dwelling in the house of the Lord under the shadow of the Almighty's roof, brings us the second necessity of life, guidance. As David said, it was his highest desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, not only because it, it gave him the life-transforming companionship of Jesus, but also because it gave him the safe guidance he could inquire in his temple. He could have his questions answered. In a time of apostasy and war, the Bible says the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. If you wanted good guidance, you, want to, you went to the house of God and there inquired of him. We all need guidance. But it is only those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High who receive reliable guidance. But there was a third necessity dwelling in the secret place of the Most High furnished. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. This is the secret place of the Most High. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. Sheltered, protected, no evil can harm me. Resting in Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Notice again the three essentials of life that dwelling in the secret place of the Most High provides. First and foremost, companionship and fellowship with our wonderful Lord. The second essential of life that dwelling in the secret place of the Most High provides is a place of continuous direction and guidance. The third essential of life provided to those who dwell in this secret place of the Most High is protection and security. Let's examine this third essential a little closer. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. The secret place of the Most High is a refuge and a fortress. 
there is a reason that we can never be overcome by the enemy inside the fortress. And there's a reason that we can never not be overcome by the enemy outside the fortress. And so Satan tries to entice us away from this impregnable fortress so he can overcome us. We saw that the house of God was illustrated by the tabernacle, the temple of the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the house of God is the church. The house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is not unimportant. It is a refuge, and it's grounded in truth. The church is God's fortress, his city of refuge, which he holds in a revolted world. Do not think that active church membership, church attendance is unimportant. Church support is not unimportant. It's a part of dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. The church is part of God's protection of his people. And those who reject the church, those who are critical of the church, are not dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. It is part of the companionship, part of guidance, and part of the protection God provides to those dwelling in the secret place of the Most High through his church. What makes the church a protective fortress? Is it the building? No, our refuge, our fortress is not a fortress of a strong building. It's not a refuge of massive rocks, stones, or concrete. It's not ornate architecture or the number of its members. It is God himself that is our fortress. And it is the presence of God that makes the sanctuary a place of companionship, guidance, and protection. It is the presence of God that makes the church a place of companionship, guidance, and protection. He is our refuge and, for and fortress. Our trust is in the provider, not his provisions. Our trust is in the one who provides, not in what he provides. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of troubles from the wicked when it comes. Why? He delivers us from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He covers us with his feathers, and under his wings we take refuge. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No wonder David saying, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Look again at verse 3 of Psalm 91. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. I love the word surely. It means certainly. Without a doubt, God will deliver those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High. His promise is sure. He cannot lie. Notice the dangers that we will surely be delivered from. The snare of the fowler. The perilous pestilence. Both of these are unseen dangers. The Bible gives us some hints about the snare of the fowler. Solomon tells us they carefully conceal their nets. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. It's interesting to read about the techniques of bird trappers, fowlers on Wikipedia. Fowlers spread their traps where the birds frequent. They spread them in the bird's natural habitat at their natural feeding areas. The bird catcher provides the food the bird loves, using it as a bait to entice them to the hidden trap. The fowler may use decoy birds to attract other birds and signal to the birds all is well and safe. My wife and I this morning read in our, um, in our worship together, we're on uh, page 162, or we're uh, volume one, 
Satan is willing that you should be Christians in name, for you can suit his purpose better. If you have a form and not true godliness, he can use you to decoy others into the same self-deceived way. Some poor soul will look to you instead of looking to the Bible standard and will come up no higher. They are as good as you and are satisfied. How can parents detect these decoys in their own home? The young are often urged to do duty. They're urged to do duty. Urged to speak or pray in meeting. Urged to die to pride. Every step they are urged. Such religion is worth nothing. The fowler may utilize various bird calls to get the birds to come to the areas of the trap. A fowler may make sounds like a Christian, but he's a destroyer of Christians. A bird is lured into the net thinking it has found an abundant supply of food. It imagines it will be supping at a banquet with numerous friends, little realizing that it is being enticed to its destruction. On the screen, you can see a homemade crude bird snare. The bird is attracted by the bait, unmindful of the net. And all around, I see people taking the bait and getting the trap. Even if we have been trapped, however, and we all have been, he can deliver us and untangle us from the net and set us free. How much better if I was never trapped, but how thankful I am for his untangling me from the ensnaring nets of life. He is the deliverer. God takes those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High under his wing. It is warm, soft, and safe under his wing. With a jealous eye, God watches for any dangers that might threaten those under his wing. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. How does God protect those in the secret place? His truth is our shield and buckler. Truth is the protection. It detects every error. The Bible protects us because God's word is truth. The church of the living God protects us by teaching the truth. And a church that teaches the truth attracts those who love the truth. If the truth of Scripture is understood, it protects us. If the truth of Scripture is known, it protects us. It's God's prophetic method, message, his truth that protects us from end-time danger. It's a shield and a buckler. Where was the secret place of the Most High during the flood that destroyed the old world? It was inside the ark. Those who loved truth heeded God's prophetic warning through the prophetic voice of Noah. They boarded the boat and escaped the danger. Accepting the truth of the prophets and living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. What was the secret place of the Most High when Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains were destroyed by fire from heaven? It was getting out of Sodom and Gomorrah. The secret place of the Most High is a city of refuge. We enter it the moment we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, accept his gift of repentance, and turn from our sins with loathing and to righteousness with longing.
We receive from him a love of the truth. We come to Jesus and we stay with him. We talk to him in prayer. We listen to him as he speaks the truth to us through scripture. We respond and live by its instruction, letting it guide our lives. It's the great virus detector. He brings us into the fellowship of the church. His presence cheers us. And we don't get out from under his wings. Are you under his wings tonight? Is your family under the wings? We can be there by a, a decision. Responding to the desire to be there. And surrendering our lives to him. Let's just bow our, our heads. Dear Lord, we're thankful that you've given us wonderful promises. We want to have that high honor accepting the invitation to dwell with you. And the refuge you provide on this earth will be in heaven a palace in those wonderful walls, inside those wonderful and safe walls of the New Jerusalem. We don't want anything to interfere with your saving work in our lives. Bless us now as we sleep tonight. Put a hedge of protection around our families. Give us the Holy Spirit as we seek to study the Bible and understand it. Give us strength to obey it. And give us a hatred of sin and a love for righteousness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.